Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So I could start any number of places, but not really. I mean, for people who do not get UFC or combat sports or MMA, especially UFC, for people who wonder why UFC is so popular, I have exactly three words for those three letters. This is why. A moral victory from Leon Edwards. But that is not the cloth from which he is cut. I mean, that is a dejected. Hell no. Nobody did. The audio is great, but it does not begin to do it justice. If you did not see the fight, you see that right there. That is the moment right there. That proves it. That's why UFC is so popular. That's why I've been talking about this sport on this show about as long or longer than anybody else in the mainstream media. That's why I jumped in. I mean, holy bleep. I don't know how many times I've seen that and I'm still stunned. In a sport where you should never be stunned, I am still stunned by that. Leon Edwards knocking out Kamara Usman in the final minute of the final round of a championship fight that he was about to lose. I'll say it again. Holy crap. A massive underdog beating the greatest welterweight of all time, the pound-for-pound current king, and one of the greatest fighters to ever step in the cage, and to do it like that. I mean, for years I've been saying that the best thing about MMA and the UFC in particular is that anybody can get beat. Anybody can be beaten by anybody. Everybody loses at some point. Everybody. It's not like any other sport. It's not like football. It's not like basketball. It's not like boxing. It's not like any other sport on the planet because anybody can get beat by anybody at any time, and they all do. Even the guys who are not supposed to lose, lose. I mean, the thing that's not supposed to happen, that can't happen, actually did happen in Salt Lake City on Saturday night. I need you to run that back for me one more time, Alvin. A moral victory from Leon Edwards. But that is not the cloth from which he is cut. I mean, that is a dejected. Did you hear how that cut started? They were talking about a moral victory. What they were talking about was Edwards surviving for five rounds. Like they were saying, one more minute and he has a moral victory and he's not about that generally, but... And then bam. Again, those who know, know. But for those who do not know or those who have not gotten into the sport, that does not happen. That can't happen. That has never happened to Usman before. That's not just the pound-for-pound champ getting knocked the bleep out. That is the pound-for-pound champ getting knocked the bleep out in the final minute of the final round of a fight that he'd already won. I mean, it's insane. Like, the word stunning does not begin to do it justice. 
I was so shocked. I felt like my face had been caved in by that left foot. I felt like I was the one who leaned into that shot and absorbed it. I felt like I was everybody shocked as Usman, and I was in my living room 600 miles away. That's the one moment that you want from sports, but you never get, right? And we just got it. A moment like that comes along, what, once a decade? Kirk Gibson homering off Eck, maybe? But not even, because the Dodgers started to win three more games. Edwards landed that left foot and didn't have to do anything else. He finished that kick, and that was it. He could celebrate. He dropped that Billy strut. He knew. We all knew. I would say that Usman knew, but he was asleep before he even hit the ground. And again, the crazy thing is, Usman had won that fight already. He was dominating that fight. He was heading to the finish line only to have Edwards blindside him with a Mack truck. Yeah, I know. I know. In every sport, anything can technically happen. But in the UFC, it actually does happen. For instance, the Detroit Lions are not winning the Super Bowl this year. The Orlando Magic are not winning an NBA title in the next few months. But in UFC, anything can happen, and it just did. Again, this is why I talk so much about this sport. This is why I love this sport. This is why this sport is not like anything else. And I'm not looking to say that Leon Edwards is the Detroit Lions of fighting. He's not. Far from it. This guy's a stud. He had not lost since Usman got him seven years ago. He's legit. It's just that Kamaru Usman has spent the last seven years on another level entirely. You know, and for all that talk that anybody can be beaten, I mean, I say it all the time myself, Usman had never been beaten in UFC, ever. 15 straight wins, and he was looking to tie Anderson Silva's record of 16 straight and was less than 60 seconds away from doing that and so much more. Remember, this is a guy that went in as the welterweight champ with five straight title defenses. He had cleaned out that division. He had lapped it. He was coming back around to beat guys for a second time. And he was talking about moving up not just one division, but two divisions just for a challenge. Like, that's how dominant this guy had been. He needed something else to do. Pound for pound, best in the world. And just last week, Dana White and I were talking on this show about how it went on Saturday night, and then we're talking about maybe the greatest of all time. But he got beat. One of the greatest of all time got beat in the final minute of a fight that he had already won. Less than 60 seconds away from history and immortality. And I've just got to say one more time, he got knocked the bleep out. A moral victory from Leon Edwards. But that is not the cloth from which he is cut. I mean, no. that is a dejected. Oh, 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 no. There it is. No. Oh, my God. Undisputed Welterweight champ. The belt's headed to the UK. Leon Edwards has done it. He sets it up by showing him the left and a perfect left high kick. That is amazing. I didn't even see it. We did not think that that was going to happen in the fifth round like that. There was no getting up from that shot. He was out before he hit the ground. Usman ducking to avoid the Edwards left fist and brought his head right into the path of Edwards left foot. And that foot hit him like a freight train wrecking a park car. I mean, like the initial viewing was stunning, but then the slow-mo replays were even more brutal. Usman, arguably the best ever, 
allegedly looking like a crash test dummy. And again, like I said, not a fight that he was just about to win, but a fight that he had dominated, dominated. In fact, it was so bad. After the fourth round, Edwards Corner was screaming, quote, come on, man, what's bleeping wrong with you? No, but not come on, like come on with the F-bomb. What's bleeping wrong with you? And four minutes and four seconds later, they got their answer. Absolutely bleeping nothing wrong. Edwards was done until he wasn't. And that, again, is the beauty of MMA. That's the beauty of UFC. That's why Dana White, for more than two decades, has said that this could be the biggest sport in the world because it is the simplest sport in the world. It's fighting, right? You don't need to understand it to understand it. You don't need to love the sport and study technique to know that one dude just turned out the lights on another dude with his foot. Like, football can be pretty technical and tough to understand. I mean, even baseball to a certain extent. And hockey, not MMA. Yes, there are lots of different disciplines, but it's really pretty simple. Two guys enter, one leaves as the winner. Or in the case of Saturday night in Salt Lake City, Two fighters enter, one leaves with a belt, and one heads to the hospital. And the other thing about that sport, it always delivers. Always. Even when you think you've seen greatness, even when you know who's going to win, and it's just a matter of spinning a little more clock, something like that happens. Usman thought he was good. Usman thought that he was safe. Any other sport, what do you do? You take a knee, then it's over. Nobody's scoring four touchdowns in 60 seconds. Just like no basketball game. Has a team putting up 20 points in less than a minute. But MMA is different. Anything can happen, and it did, and that's another example of that. So, yes, I spent a lot of time laying that out for you, but I want to make very clear, this is why that sport is so great. Everybody loses. Everybody. Everybody. And that's no lucky shot. Credit for landing that shot. And it was an amazing shot. Oh, bam. I love that sound so much. It actually makes me smile. You know why? Because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Let me talk to you again about Shopify and why I like it so much. It gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. That way, upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere. They can synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. It can do all that for you. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I know where we started with this podcast, and I know where it is right now, and I know how much bigger it's going to get. Shopify is helping me with all of that. And I love how they have the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Shopify powers over millions of businesses, businesses like mine and just like yours, from first sale to full scale. You can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more, which of course is exactly where you want to be. 
more than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Here's what you need to do. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com slash Rome. He is Kevin Ioli. Kevin, it's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How you been? Doing great, Kevin. Doing great. Great to talk to you. Now, you and I both know Kevin in MMA. Absolutely anything can happen. Absolutely anybody can be beaten. But even knowing all of that, how stunned were you when Leon Edwards knocked out Kamaru Usman in the final minute of the fifth round? I think the fight ended with, what, 56 seconds to go in the fight. I think with a minute and six seconds to go, I said no urgency from Edwards. So uh, on Twitter, I, tweet, I put that out 10 seconds before the knockout. I just thought uh, Usman, you know, he had won two, three, four, won the first four minutes of round five. And he just looked like, uh, you know, he was doing what Usman does, just takes away the other guy's offense and imposes his will on him. I think the mistake Kamara made was, you know what, he was too aggressive to try to finish and, and show how good he is, as opposed to just saying, you know, those la- that last minute, you know, I'm going to stay away from him and, uh, and celebrate uh, this record-tying victory. Kevin Ioli is joining us. Kevin, given the stakes, given the history that was about to be made if Usman did exactly what you just said and finished off that final minute, where does that knockout rank in terms of all-time UFC moments? In my opinion, and I, I've covered it for most of its existence, I think that's number one um, because of the circumstances involved, uh, you know, everything that you add into it. You know, Usman's less than a minute away from tying the, the greatest record in uh, MMA history, uh, six, 16 consecutive victories inside the UFC. Uh, and he's, he's going to keep his championship. He's going to get closer to being considered the pound-for-pound goat, not just currently, but of all time. All those things you think about, and then Leon Edwards to do what he did. I, I think that's number one. Talking to Kevin Ioli. So, Kevin, at the end of the fourth round, Edwards' corner was furious yeah. at the way he was fighting and the fact that it looked like he had given up. One of his coaches even yelled, quote, come on, man, what's bleeping wrong with you? And a quote, was there any way, in your opinion, that his corner or even the fighter himself saw that ending coming? I think Leon did, but not the corner. You know, I think the corner was disappointed. And the way Leon fought, the you know, the, the last round uh, showed it. I mean, you know, he, he was not uh, – well, number one, Usman got him against the cage, and for a long period of time, you know, they grappled along the cage, and, and Edwards didn't really have any way to get off that cage. I think the fight really changed him when, uh, when Herb Dean actually broke them and made them go to the center. I think, I think it was, what, 90 seconds left when that happened, maybe a little bit more. Uh, if Dean lets them stay on the cage, because Usman was throwing some standing elbows and, and trying to do something, if he lets them stay there, the time runs out right on that cage. Uh, but I think Edwards is one of those guys that he believes in his striking, and he believed that he could knock Usman out. Uh, and he was just looking for the right spot. I think the brilliance of what he did was that jab really blinded. When he threw the jab before the kick, that blinded Usman. But also that kick came right behind the jab. And if you watch it on replay, pay attention to the leg. As the jab is just landing, the, the leg is already halfway there. He didn't wait for the um, jab to hit and then throw. He, so he was, you know, he was looking for a knockout. I think the corner kind of was doubting him, but I don't think uh, Leon doubted himself. No, you're right. The way he set that up was just absolutely brilliant. Kevin Ioli is joining us. So, Kevin, you know how this is because you've covered boxing for a long time, also combat sports. 
you know how it is in the sense that some champions lose and then they're never quite the same ever again. How do you think Usman shows up in the rematch that Dana White's looking to set up? How do you think he responds? I think Usman will respond like a champion. I mean, he's already uh, some of the uh, online sports books I saw have him as a, a favorite in the rematch, and I think deservedly so. I mean, you look at that, and hey, Edwards is a great fighter. You know, he won the first round. He became the first fighter in UFC history to ever take Usman down. I mean, so you can't take it away from him. He is a tremendous fighter. But having said that, Usman is one of the greatest who's ever done it. I think John Jones right now stands alone at the top. You know, Habib is up there. Uh, but Usman is right in that class with those kind of guys. And I, I don't think he took a lot of punishment throughout the fight. And those quick knockouts generally don't hurt you as much as when you're getting beaten up over, you know, a long, lengthy fight, and then you just can't come back from that. That one big kick to the face, usually you can come back from. Kevin Ioli is joining us. Kevin, you know it's a little bit different? I don't know that it has any dramatic effect on guys, and especially depending on who the guy is, but what is different? You and I have been in this game a long time, and in terms of the coverage of the game, especially now with MMA, UFC, Twitter, and social media, when guys get beaten and they get beaten a certain way, suddenly there's this whole thing. There's an onslaught. There are memes. Right. Everybody's rushing in. Other fighters are rushing in. Do you think that has an impact on certain fighters to not only have a thing happen on a big stage, but then it keeps happening on that big stage day after day after day on social? I do. You know, um, these fighters have egos, right? And they love to go on uh, social media and look at everybody, talk about how great they are. They say they don't read everything, and I can tell you, I guarantee you, they read everything. And, uh, and they look at everything. And so, you know, they, they get out there, and uh, they want to see everybody saying they're great and what they are. And so I'm sure when Usman was on that plane going home, he, he had his phone out, and he was looking at what everybody was saying. But I think he's cut from a different cloth, and that's what John Anik said about Leon Edwards just before the knockout, and I, I think it applies to Usman. I mean, he is one of those guys that, you know, he, he hasn't really let his success get to his head, and I feel like, uh, you know, just he's going to take this, uh, all the stuff that's going on on social media, and people are nasty. I mean, they, are, they just are, they really are, and they don't have a conscience. I mean, he's going to take that and say, let me show you, and I believe he'll come back. Now, does that mean he, he will just blow Leon Edwards out if and when they have a rematch? You know, I'm not saying that, because Leon Edwards is a great fighter, too, and he's going to have a lot to say about what happens, but I think you'll see Usman perform at a high level in a rematch. Kevin Ioli joining us. Kevin, I agree with you. I don't think that sticks to him. I think this guy is a very tough-minded guy. I think he's going to roll with that. You know, I want to ask you about Leon Edwards and how he deals with that. We know his story and his journey are absolutely amazing. I kind of want to ask you about how he's going to deal with that pressure of being a champ because not everybody does well with that. But I have to move on because you want to talk about betting odds. I love Kamzat Chemaev. I love Nate Diaz. I love that matchup. You and I could talk for an hour on that alone. Have you seen these early numbers? Chemaev is a minus 1,200 favorite yeah. against Nate. I understand that Nate has lost six of his last 10, but that is an amazing number. What's your reaction when you see that number, minus 1,200? I, I kind of expected it to be in the, you know, minus 800 range. So that's a little higher than I thought, especially when you saw what Chamayo did against Gilbert Burns, right? I mean, he beats uh, what was Burns at the time, number two in the world, but, you know, he had trouble with him, right? So you, you would think, okay, um, you know, it's not going to be that high, but uh, Nate really has, throughout his career, struggled against anybody who was a really good wrestler. And there's I, there may be no better wrestler in the UFC than uh, Hamza Chemaev. 
And um, so I'm not surprised that the number is that big. The thing that concerns me about Shemayev is when he had that success and then he had the issue of COVID, you know, I think he might have lost a little bit of the hunger that he had right away. You know, he's reveling in being a celebrity. So maybe the opposite of Hushman, right? You know, and, uh, you know, he's at home and he's, uh, you know, everybody loves him and everybody talks about him positively and everything. And I think that's something that would concern me if I was betting on him. I, it's not going to dissuade me from picking him to win the fight, uh, but it certainly would be a concern. I, I would not lay that kind of money just because, you know, you saw what Nate Diaz did to Leon Edwards in the last fight. Uh, he almost knocked Leon Edwards out in the final minute. Talking to Kevin Ioli, I thought, I agree with you, I thought maybe minus 800, don't get me wrong, 800 obviously makes him an overwhelming favorite, and I like him to win that fight, but God, he, like, I try not to root Kevin, we're not supposed to root, I love Nate so much. Nate is not ranked, he has not won a fight in three years, in fact, he's lost six of his last ten, as I mentioned, but yep. he is still one of the biggest draws, Kevin, in the entire sport. Dana White compared him to the late Arturo Gotti, how accurate is that in your mind, and how do you explain this amazing connection that Nate has with the fans? I don't like the Gotti thing because Gotti went out there and every one of his fights was one of the greatest fights that was, was ever held, and Nate is not like that. Nate's fights are entertaining, but Nate's fights are more because of his posturing and, and the talk that he does. And, you know, he, he's, uh, what was the battery commercial where the actor said, you know, knock it off with the, you know, that's kind of how. Robert uh, Conrad, Robert, right? Yeah, Robert Conrad, right. And that's kind of how Nate is with anybody. You know, he's saying he wants to fight Francis Ngannou and, uh, and Israel Adesanya. And so people love that because here's a guy that, you know, theoretically has everything going against him. You know, he's outsized, you know, everything is against him, every category, and he still wants to do it. And so people just really relate to that. He is as real as real gets. And I think that's why he's so popular. So I'm not, I mean, I, I don't want to dog Nate when I say I don't like the comparison to Gotti because I think Gotti certainly, um, you know, had a little bit of those elements, but he wasn't the kind of showman uh, in terms of outside the ring before the fights that Nate is. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing and now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, the stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Hmm. Kevin Ioli is joining us. Before you go, Kevin, speaking of fighters who have done more losing than winning of late, it's been more than a year since we've seen Conor McGregor on a UFC card. You know, he's everywhere on social. He's still running his mouth. There's been reports that he's getting closer to a return. In terms of what you're hearing and you're reporting, where do you think he's at mentally right now? And when do you think he might return if he does return? I, I do think he's going to return. Um, and, you know, I think the December card is probably the, the time that you should start looking for him. So, you know, in that December to March time frame, that four-month period, you know, his leg will be healed at that point, and I think he's going to be ready to go. The question is going to be where does he fight, right? I mean, he was a dominant featherweight, um, not so great as a, as a lightweight. He, he was massive. If you look at his pictures on yeah. social media now, he's bulked up. You know, how is he going to do against these big guys if he's, you know, I mean, can you imagine him fighting a Usman or somebody like that? I mean, that's just uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, um, you know, I thought Nate Diaz was the fight to make for him coming back. For both of them, that would have been a phenomenal fight. Um, but, you know, 
I think Connor will come back. I think, like I say, December would be when I would first start looking for him. I couldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he headlines that show or uh, is in a co-main on that show. But um, it's going to depend on you know how what he thinks he can make weight-wise. Uh, I don't think he's going to fight 55 again. So I think we might see him at 170. And boy, that's that's going to be tough to get him in there with one of the elite 170s. Yeah, you know, you made the point before I could. I was going to say, looking at him on social, he looks massive, massive right now. So one last thought: after Amanda Nunes regained the bantamweight belt after UFC 277, you raised the idea of her walking off on that win. Could yeah. you actually see her doing that? I I go back and forth, right? You know, um, and and Amanda is really a competitive person. But also, look, her, her wife just uh, announced uh, her retirement. Uh, they have a child that they're raising. And what else is there for her to do? Because for all intents and purposes, the division, uh, the featherweight division, it doesn't exist. You know, she's the only fighter in the division. She has the belt. There's no other fighters. Um, and so now, do, does she need to go back there and beat Juliana Pena again a third time, uh, or, or second time uh, in a third fight? You know, I don't think she does. And, like, you know, there's nothing that she can really do now that helps her legacy. And she's at that age where, I, I, you know, I like to see her on top with a crowning achievement victory walk away. I mean, very few of them do that. Lennox Lewis did it with that win over Vitaly Klitschko. And I think when you see people do that, you know, you respect them more. And, I mean, I think Amanda could win fights for a long time still because she's so good. But, you know, what's the point of it at this stage? Uh, she has the money that she needs for the rest of her life. And uh, I, I, I would say it's 50-50 at best, though. I think we'll probably see her back. Right. So one final bonus and a follow-up. If Usman was the mythical pound-for-pound pound and he lost, who is now, or is it still him even after a loss? I, I put Volkanovski. You know, the question, the problem I had, you know, after Volkanovski won the last fight, I started saying, man, has he even surpassed uh, Usman? because of what he's been doing, you know, tw- you know, 20 consecutive wins overall, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. He hasn't been in the UFC as long as Usman, but, you know, he's had a similar record, and, I mean, he's just destroying guys, right? I mean, uh, there's, you know, Brian Ortega, and, I mean, you just look at all these guys that he's beaten, and, and Max Holloway uh, three times. I mean, it's just incredible what he has put together. So I think he's number one. The problem is where do you put Usman, and what about Leon Edwards? I did not have Leon Edwards in my top ten, and I don't think most people did prior to this fight. You know, he, if, I, if I did 11 to 15, he would have been in that spot. So I ended up putting Usman at third and Leon Edwards at fifth. I felt like, you know, hey, Usman controlled enough of that fight that he didn't deserve to drop more than uh, two, you know, two spots. And I, I brought Leon Edwards into my rankings, and it's like, how, how much do I penalize some of these other guys? So I went with uh, Volkanovski one, Adesanya two, or Adesanya two, Usman three, and then I had um, Edwards at five. He covers MMA and boxing for Yahoo Sports, and nobody does it better. A legend of the game, very good friend of the program. He is Kevin Ioli. Kevin, I really appreciate you. Thanks so much. Another great job by you. Thanks, Jim. See you soon. So you're hanging out with some friends. You're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you got this. You live nearby. You can make it home just fine. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. 
The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. As if Leon Edwards knocking Kamaru Usman the bleep out in the final minute of the final round was not enough action from UFC on Saturday night. There was more. Dana White also dropped this gem while talking to Rob Gronkowski and a bunch of other Gronks. You would have been. You would have been. So I want to bet. I, I'm the one. I, I I worked to put that deal together for Brady and Gronk to come to the Raiders, and it was almost a done deal. Almost a done deal. Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski going to the Raiders. That would have been one hell of a move for the Raiders. Absolutely massive. The silver and black getting Brady and Gronk. If that went down, Raider Mike would have been burning up the message boards and my phone lines. I'd have been bumping autumn wind every single week. And you know. Keep in mind, we're talking about Brady and Gronk coming to the Raiders the year they won the Super Bowl with the Bucks. In other words... Brady and Gronk still at the height of their powers playing for the Raiders in Las Vegas. So who would stop that? Who would be so dumb as to turn down the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest tight end of all time? Who'd be that dumb? I think I'll let Dana explain. And at the last minute, Gruden blew the deal up and said that he didn't want him. And all hell broke loose, man. It was crazy. And and, and Brady was already looking at houses, and it wasn't being said yet that Gronk was coming. So Las Vegas would have had Brady and Gronk the year that the Bucs won the Super Bowl, except Gruden blew the deal up. Of course, because of course he would. And how dumb would you have to be to turn down the greatest quarterback? And turn down the greatest tight end of all time. And for the record, Gronk confirmed the story on the air. (laughs) So let me repeat that. They apparently had Brady and Gronk in the bag, ready to play for Las Vegas. And according to Dana White, Gruden blew it up and Gronk confirmed it. Incredible. And here I was thinking that the only thing this dude blew up were... His belts and his career. But he also apparently blew up a deal to get the best quarterback and best tight end in NFL history while they were still at the top of their games. And don't tell me this was because the Raiders already had Derek Carr and Darren Waller. I know. And by the way, I love both those guys, they're both great. But we are talking about Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Tom Brady. <laughs> is so good, he can apparently just bounce and leave training camp for more than a week without telling anybody where the hell he's going or what he's doing, and nobody really even seems to care. 
Gronk can decide in October that he wants to play again. And nearly every single team in the league would take him. Almost every team in the league wanted these two, but John Gruden had no interest. Tom Brady, according to Dana White, was looking at houses in Vegas. That's how serious that was. And yet Gruden blew the whole thing up. So not only has this guy not had a winning record since 2008, not only has he not won a playoff game since the 2002 season, he had a look at and then turned down Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And I guarantee you, he scrunched up his face when he did it so he could look really badass. Just a reminder of why this guy was like maybe the most overrated coach ever and had been living off a Super Bowl win from 20 years ago and is one of the all-time worst evaluators of talent. I mean, we are talking about a guy who happily traded away Khalil Mack. We are talking about the guy who called Trent Brown the LeBron James of right tackles, only to then trade him and a seventh-round pick for a fifth-round pick. Calling Trent Brown the LeBron James of right tackles and then having to give him away is the LeBron James of terrible talent evaluation. You ever been on a boat that's sinking? So, of course, Gruden apparently blew up a deal to get the greatest quarterback of all time. This dude destroyed his own career with terrible coaching and even worse emails that included racist language, homophobic language, transphobic language, and emailing around porn. Again, if somebody's dumb enough to put all that crap in an email, you know they're a moron. And this underlines that fact. I mean, make no mistake about it. I guarantee you this was not about Gruden already having car and loving car because he sure loved going out of his way to make sure that people knew that he really didn't love car. No, this was about something else. I'm going to say this was about ego. This was about Gruden not being happy coaching Tom Brady because Brady didn't need him. Brady would not have listened to him. Brady knows way more about the offense and quarterbacking than Gruden will ever know. And Gruden wouldn't like that. Gruden would hate that. When Gruden was winning, it wasn't enough for him to win. He had to get all the credit for the wins. You think that guy wants to share that spotlight with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski? Hell no. He'd rather lose without them than win with them. Why else would you kill that deal? Why would you kill that deal? Mark Davis was asked by the Las Vegas Review-Journal about that. Davis said, quote, I heard about White's comments. That was, what, two to three years ago or something? I don't know, man. Talk to Dana. I remember that Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay. That's basically what I remember. I have no idea. Dana has the stories. I love Dana. He's a great, great promoter. Why would this make me upset? I was busy watching the Raiders and the basketball game, end of quote. Well, that answer in and of itself is almost as dumb as having a chance to get Brady and Gronk and not doing it. What kind of answer is that? Wait, that was what, two to three years ago? Who the hell cares when it was, Mark? I was busy watching a basketball game? What kind of answer was that? Yeah, I'm guessing Davis knew. Yeah, because the owner wouldn't know. It's something like that was in the works.
I'm guessing Davis knew how close he was to getting Brady and Gronk and that his head coach blew the whole thing up. I'm guessing he knows that. And I'm guessing that's the reason he doesn't want to talk about it. Who the hell would want to go through that all over again? Who wants to go into that pain cave again? You wouldn't want to. You know why? Because it would suck. When you experience something really traumatic or a really bad beat, you don't want to keep going back to it. In fact, you don't go back to it. You try to forget it ever happened. This guy had a chance of greatness. And his super expensive moronic coach ruined it, apparently. Your moron head coach turned down a chance. Aren't we talking about the quarterback guru, too? The quarterback guru? According to Dana White and confirmed by Gronk, turned down a chance to get the quarterback. Wait for this, by the way. Turned down a chance to get the quarterback and the tight end who would win a Super Bowl only a few months later. You're a moron. I mean, Scotty could be talking about both the Gruden boys. Only Gruden would do that. Only that guy. You're won the Bucks a Super Bowl in 2002 and then handed them a Super Bowl in 2020. How else would you describe that? I mean, that's moronic. Loser. Fast. Incredible. Fast. So if there wasn't enough action on Saturday night for that event, then you got Dana White telling that to Gronk and Gronk confirming it. Crazy. You have to ask Reggie. Oh, now it's Reggie's fault. That's enough of that crap. Yeah, I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48 hours sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Like, I don't even know that was possible. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use. I mean, the product is pretty amazing. All of that, and especially, especially good when you're on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray continues. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. And it goes without saying, you better be moisturizing. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. And did I say, you had best be moisturizing? I do. You should. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry. Clean feel. All day. Antoine Bethay. Antoine, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. So Tom Brady shows up for camp today. Nobody's going to argue that Tom Brady needs additional reps. But let me ask you, Antoine, if you're on the Bucks team and you're looking to win a Super Bowl, how are you feeling if your franchise quarterback, even if he is the GOAT, isn't there? And really nobody seems to know why. Yeah, um... Again, like you said, you know, Tom Brady's the GOAT. He's been doing it for a number, a number of years. <laughs> but as a teammate, I would, I think I would be feeling some type of way just because, you know, once it's August, it's time, you know, end of July at that time that everybody knows it's time to lock in. We're here in training camp. I think um, a lot of people would, would love, you know, to, to to take a few days off. But, you know, that that's that part of that grind. But, um, you know, again, you know we are we we uh, BA had this had this saying that you know I'm gonna treat everybody 
uh, fairly, but I'm not going to treat everybody the same. So this could definitely be one of those situations. See, that's interesting because earlier this year there were reports that he did not like playing under Bruce Arians. You played for Arians, so what was your reaction when that came out? And could you see a scenario where Brady would not like playing for B.A.? No, um, I, I, I haven't been around many guys or even one guy that said they, they don't like playing with B.A. B.A. is one of those coaches that he's going to wear it on his sleeves. Um, he's going to be honest with you, and I think in the locker room, that's why guys – um, respect and liked about B.A. So I don't see a scenario where, you know, Brady's saying that, you know, he didn't like playing for him. But, again, I'm not Brady. I'm not Tom Brady. I'm, I wasn't in that locker room. But my experiences with B.A. has been some of the best ones as far as the uh, head coach. Fair enough. Antoine, so if you're Lamar Jackson, I'm jumping around, but if you're Lamar Jackson and you're seeing what Deshaun Watson got from the Browns in terms of guaranteed money and the fact that you're a league MVP, you haven't had nearly the -the off-the-field issues that Watson has had, is there any way you would take anything less than a fully guaranteed contract if you're Jackson? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. So, again, um, as he's been doing, he's betting on himself. And, um, you know, this year he's getting 23 mil, so if they – you know, they don't want to move off the, the the guaranteed contract. Lamar doing what Lamar's doing. He's going to hold on to that. He's going to play this season. And, you know, he's going to go out there and have a great season, and that number's going to go up. But I'm, I'm, I'm 100% behind him. You know, stick to that. Stick to your guns and, and go for that fully guaranteed. So what about the team itself? Do you think that the Ravens would be willing to give him all that guaranteed money? Um, I, I mean, obviously not. That's why, you know, um, a deal hasn't been done because they can't agree to it. But at some point, you know, um, I kind of say this all the time, like it's it's tough to to, to come by a um, a quarterback who can do what Lamar Jackson does. So if you're a team, if you're an organization, and you know what that guy can do for you, you got to do right by him, especially when he's doing the things that he's doing on the field and off the field. Antoine Bethea, Super Bowl champ, three-time Pro Bowler, co-host of the Man to Man pod. So you and Darius Butler were talking recently about dark horse Super Bowl contenders, and you went with Jacksonville. Darius looked like he was about to pass out when he heard that. What have you seen from the Jags that made you believe that? Yeah, so he asked me, you know, who 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 could be this year's, um, you know, Cincinnati Bengals that nobody expects to go to the Super Bowl. And I'm I'm thinking, I'm just like, you know, Jacksonville. You know, you have your your um, your quarterback Trevor Lawrence, and typically, you know, as a player, one of your between year one and year two is when you make that biggest jump. Um, and then, you know, you just look at Joe Burrow. It's a similar situation. And then you have pieces around Trevor Lawrence where, you know, um, given the situation, they could they could potentially do some things. So, again, it was a stretch. But um, that was my pick, Jacksonville Jaguars. Hmm. Antoine, one last thought. In last night's Bengals-Giants game, New York's first-round pick, Kayvon Thibodeau, was injured on a low block. Lots of folks on Twitter pretty fired up about that, thinking that was a dirty play. I know you've seen that play. What's your reaction? Was that dirty? No, I don't think it was a dirty play. Obviously, it was um, unfortunate that, you know, it looked how it looked. Um, You know, it came out that he'll have a spray MCL, so he'll be able to bounce back from that. But I don't think it was a – a dirty play at all. It's one of them plays that's in football, that's been in football for a while. Um, again, I think it'll be uh, um, each take of how to defeat that block, you know, so I'm pretty sure, you know, they'll look at that as well, but I don't think it was a, a malice play um, or a dirty play, but unfortunately it looked ugly and he did get injured on the play.
All right, so one last thought. Derwin James signed a new deal with the Chargers last week. Is one safety looking at another? What do you like most about his game? Man, I like I like his game. You know, um, everything that he does, everything that he's able to bring to that defense and bring to the field. You know, um, he's not just a box safety. He's not a safety that just sits in the post. Um, he can come down. He can guard the tight ends. He can he can guard the receivers in the slot, um, and he can blitz. So really, as a defensive coordinator, he's the type of guy that you want um, on your defense. You can do a lot of things um, with him. And him being a special player, opposing offenses, they're gonna try to circle him each week. Um, trying to figure out where he is. And, again, all the things that he can do, um, you just can't pinpoint him being on one spot. So, as a safety man, that's the type of guy that you want um, and able to go out there and make plays for you. Brett Bielema is my guest. Brett, it's always good to have you on this show, and it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm good, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. So, you know, great to have you on. It's game week, as I mentioned. You and I spoke nearly one year ago to the day after you opened up with that win over Nebraska. I'm curious, how much has changed in the program since that time? And then how hyped are you to get year two going? I, I am, Jim. I'm excited. I think as a head coach, you um, you tend to see things a little before anybody else, even your assistant coaches. As a head coach, you kind of put all the things together, complimentary football, you know, some things that take place on the field as well as off field. I'm I'm definitely generally excited. I'm, I'm a little anxious to see what it looks like uh, Saturday versus Wyoming. But, you know, after last year's game in the, against Nebraska, you really did realize how much that Week Zero game captivates the national audience. So hopefully we'll take advantage of that again. We're talking to Brett Bielema. So, Brett, let me talk to you about a couple of your guys and your approach. For instance, Chase Brown rushed for over 1,000 yards last season, including a couple of games of 200-plus yards. At the same time, you did change up the offense after last season. You brought in a new offensive coordinator. So how would you describe the offensive identity that you're looking for from this team? Well, I think a little bit more balance. Um, you know, we definitely established we could run the football a year ago, but uh, I made a change to Barry Lunny, who was at UTSA, but he had been with me previously at Arkansas. And if you look at his numbers uh, as a coordinator at UTSA, they were incredibly balanced. Um, had a 1,400-yard rusher, but also had uh, uh, three receivers with over 50. I think one had 70, one had 60, and one had 50 catches. Um, so so was able to distribute the ball both in the run game and the passing game. And really try to keep a defense on edge. So, Brett, it's not just Brown. You've also got Josh McRae, who had a strong year last year, and even more talent behind him. I mean, not to state the obvious, but I'll state the obvious, especially in the Big Ten. How much does it come down to your ability to pound the football and stop the run? It, it does make a difference, I think, especially if we can complement it with a, with a good play-action game and do some things that keep the ball uh, in the air. And, and, and I think we're going to be a unique preparation with what we do is, is kind of unique uh, to, to football, but also in the Big Ten in general. And then, you know, I know this. Uh, in my time, I was watching a replay game of a Big Ten championship game that was up on my social media. And uh, I had three running backs, James White, Monty Ball, and uh, Melvin Gordon um, that rushed for over 500 yards in a game. And, and it's great to have one running back. It's really good to have two. But if you can have three, it's special. And I think our depth here has definitely got us in a position to have you know, two, three, four guys that hopefully can play winning football at that position. Chase Brown will lead the charge, but Josh McCray is a nice, nice change up, a little bit more physical, a bigger back. Um, uh, Reggie Love is back with us, who's, who's definitely got some value and has put up big numbers uh, in the past. So I'm, I'm excited to see these guys work. Illinois head coach Brett Bielema joining us. And then you've got quarterback Tommy DeVito coming over as a transfer from Syracuse. And he's been battling Art Sikowski for the starting job. Before we talk about the way you evaluate that position and what you're looking for, what about those two guys? How would you describe the relationship the two of them have? 
you know, Jim, it's, it's amazing. They're both Jersey guys. Um, it's like we got Joey the situation going on 24-7 here uh, in our building. But uh, I, I I love it because they're, they're Jersey guys that are completely different personalities, but they have one common demeanor, and that's they want to win games. Um, last year, Art Sikowski came off the bench and helped us win that Nebraska game. Later in the year against Penn State, he got knocked out with an injury, and his backup, who was the original starter, came in and replaced him and helped us win the game. Uh, the relationship those two guys has been pretty impressive to me. They're both competing for the starting job, but they, they meet and watch film together. They bring in the other young quarterbacks. They're great rapport with their teammates. Uh, just really good good um, uh, example of some chemistry that we have going on in our football building right now. So, Brett, what about the evaluation itself between the two of them? Like, what are you looking for in a starting quarterback, and have you identified that starter yet? Yeah, I, what my team knows. Uh, I'm not going to announce it publicly as of right now, but uh, our team definitely knows who the starting quarterback is, and I just think going into game week, you have to have that that identity as a as a program. Um, uh, I do think that you know both of them bring you know really good value. Art had surgery on his shoulder and is really as uh, thrown the ball as live as I've seen him throw it. Um, really, really good. Uh, very good process guy. That the thing that Tommy brings. Tommy's a little bit more of a a creator. He does some things that instinctively with him that uh, is, is very unique to him. A little bit different than Art, but. I think quarterback play is really defined as, uh, you know, how does it give the other 10 guys a chance to win? Um, even Russell Wilson, who probably was probably one of my best quarterbacks overall, uh, obviously with what he could do with his arms and his legs, but his leadership was uncanny. His ability to make something or nothing was really special. And both of these guys, I think, had that skill set. Uh, we just got to, you know, see how it blends in with those other guys to, to make the whole thing whole. You know, Brady, you just mentioned Russell Wilson. So let me ask you about him. Like, he's such a unique athlete in and of himself. And he had, like, his intangibles, it seems to me, are just off the chart. But when you had him and he was a younger, developing guy, like, what was he like to have and how did he make guys around him better? Well, you know, it was interesting. So he came to us from a program that was totally different than what we did offensively. So it took him a little bit of time. Now, I say it doesn't take Russ long for anything. It, you know, a two- to three-week adjustment to – how we wanted to do it, and he adjusted quickly. Um, both of these guys, Tommy and Art, have had an entire spring, you know, in, in Art's case, an entire year. Russell had one unique thing, right? He was at its best when everybody else was at its worst, right? So if we had a call play that, that you know, made him to look for the dig to the, to the over route and it wasn't there, he could create something either with his arms or his legs that was very difficult to, to, to defend. He was really hard to defend when he knew what was going on, he was even harder to defend when he was creative and adaptive to the moment. And that's what I think has always set him apart. And then he's just, he's just extremely calm. Nothing really rattles him. I remember in a big 10 championship game, he got whacked across the nose and we thought he broke his nose and he kind of was just looking at me wiping blood out of his nose and saying, okay, what are we going to do on this play? Right? Like he literally handles the moment as well as you can handle it. If anybody I've ever been at all positions, but especially a quarterback. Bro, what is that? I'm fascinated by that. Like, he handles the moment as well as anybody you've ever had at any position, let alone that position. Is he hardwired for that? Did he learn that? Can you teach that? Can you train that? Where does that come from? Well, again, a lot of times our guys, uh, Jim, as you know, we get them when they're 18 years old. So the really the identity of who they are in critical moments has been established way before we get them, right? It's how they handle the playground when they were in eighth grade, uh, as well as how they handled the uh, the locker room when they were a sophomore starting on the JV squad, right? Like they, they've learned from their past. Unfortunately, you know, Russ's dad passed. I never had a chance to meet him, but I felt because of the way I got to know Russ, he always claimed that his dad had prepared him for those moments, right? That there's a king in every room and, and there's just different things that he went to 
that he always has a foundation that he goes back to that that is very unique. And, and sometimes we get kids with that, a lot of that same background, or maybe it's a background that we have to detrain. Um, but uh, I think just because he feels no pressure, uh, that allows his mind to process things really, really well, and he can make clear decisions. Yeah, it's funny you said D-train. I was going to say, Brad, I once had a big-time college basketball coach tell me years ago that by the time, quote, by the time we get them, you cannot deprogram them. They are what they are. And I think that he, there was some hyperbole in that, but is there something to that? Once you get them at that age, is it really tough to, quote, deprogram them? Well, it, it, it is. I mean, I would never, you know, come to them, hey, say we're going to, but you can show them good examples, like, you know, if we have a kid that's late, I, you know, I tell our coaches all the time, right? You can listen to the excuse, but find a reason, right? Uh, okay, well, I'm late because my alarm didn't go off. Well, okay, did you set an alarm? Did you set two alarms? Uh, was it because your phone wasn't charged, right? Give me the reason, and I can live with anything. I think when we're reverse, if you're trying to tell a kid, hey, this is how you've done it, but this is how I think we can do it better, and you give them examples, kids are no different now in 2022 than they were in 2002 and in 92 when I went to college, right? Like, they want to have success, and if you can show them how a different way of thinking can benefit them and make them better, they're usually going to be pretty receptive. Um, that's why I love working with kids today. Like, everybody talks about how they're different. It's just now they got cell phones, right? They have social media. They have different instant information that you and I didn't have to grow up with that they have to process. But because of that, if you put it in terms that they can understand, you can usually get good results. Brett Bielema joining me for a few more moments. Brett, you're not going to make it about you, but kind of make it about you for one minute. I bring this up because you played Illinois high school football. What would it mean to you to lead Illinois back to a bowl game this year and then go beyond that, given your roots? It, it, it'd mean a great deal to me. Josh Whitman, our AD here, has been incredibly proactive on, on giving us a foundation to have success. Um, I know you follow all sports. You know, Brad Underwood, what he's done in basketball has definitely given us an indication of if you get the passionate Illinois fan base behind you and prove it, uh, it's really unchartered. And it, it's hard in today's world. It's hard in 2022 to find something that really hasn't been discovered. And I think Illinois football has had flashes, but to be from this home state, uh, I had an orange crust towel on my bedpost, right? Like, I, I think that Illinois is something, if we can get it to where it wants to be and where it can go, it can be sustained success, like I see other places in this conference do year after year. And it's really a fun fun time to be in a program and get the vibe that we have in this building right now. Everybody that comes in here, NFL scouts, the visitors, they just talk about the vibe that's in the Smith Center, which is our football facility, and, and I do think it's trending in the right direction. So, Brett, finally, is there sort of a switch that you throw this week? For instance, it is officially game week now. How does the mindset change when you go from camp to game week, and what are the priorities between now and Saturday when you take on Wyoming? Well, it's funny because it just becomes a lot more structured. Um, during fall camp, you have a obviously a different schedule. There's no NCAA rules really on time allotment, and we monopolize about about 11 to 12 hours of their day every day. Um, you throw in eight hours of sleep, you know, and now they're looking about two or three hours of free time a day. That's it. Now they have classes. Now they have, you know, other obligations that they have as a student athlete. So it, it, we have to be extremely regimented with our time. So for me, it actually cleans up their routine. I think a lot of kids – they don't know what a routine is, right? They come in here all over the place. They've never had something that gives them structure. And in your own unique way, you got to show them how a routine works, right? And, and how to do their job more efficiently uh, in the building. So it actually, game week, uh, in all reality, gets a little bit cleaner because they have to follow a schedule that's a little more detailed, and that helps everybody in the end. And by the way, does that not help all of us in the end when we all have that structure and we all have to be cleaner? We're all so much better for it anyway, right? 
it does help at times. It also helps you enjoy. I saw your social media on your little river adventure uh, up in Wisconsin. So, like, I know you enjoyed that week as well. So, it, it, a little time away helps everybody. See, Brett, you kind of understand that because you coached at Wisconsin, so you understand that. And also, now that you're at Illinois, that Eagle River in the north woods of Wisconsin, if they're not from Wisconsin, they're from Chicago. So, I get a taste of both those worlds. And I know you personally know both those worlds. It is. It's a it's a great place. Uh, I'm sure the Wisconsin people don't want those Illinois people up there. I know they got a couple of creative, creative nicknames for them. Uh, but like, I, I without a doubt, um, wherever your sanity is, you know, now at 52 rather than uh, 15 years ago when I became a head coach, like the, those moments uh, of clarity help you in the moments of anxiety because you just have a minute to decompress and, and put yourself in a better position to take on the challenges. So. I definitely agree with you 100%. Preach, Brett. Like, we have this perspective, right? I would tell you one thing as I let you go. Those people in Wisconsin might not want to see the folks from Illinois, but they want to see the folks from California even less. Hey, Brett, good <laughs> luck this week. Great to have you back on. I appreciate you. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. I love Brett Bielema joining us once again. Always good to have him on. He's always great for the show. Hour number two coming up. Kevin Ioli next hour. Open phones to start the second hour. Stay tuned. So I'm going to go to Little Rock, Arkansas. Hey, John, what's up? Hey there, Larry. Your mommy has been waiting on the phone line all the way through lunch. But if Jerome lets you on the airway, Alvy's going to hit you with run button crunch. Run button crunch. Run button crunch. That's the way we run your ass run button crunch. Good night now!